0: Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems. Everyone has a subjective, awe-inspiring viewpoint of our reality, and the goal of this podcast is to have conversations with unique humans. Eclectic Spacewalk means a broad and diverse range of Earth-based philosophies viewed from outer space. Send us any recommendations on who we should talk to next. But remember, we are not just a podcast. You can subscribe to our Substack newsletter and get first access to every podcast episode at eclecticspacewalk.substack.com. Connect with us on social media by following us on Twitter at eSpacewalk and the hashtag eclecticspacewalk. Find us on minds.com at eclecticspacewalk. And as always, you can find everything on the website, eclecticspacewalk.com. We want to talk with anyone over our shared humanity and best practices of life. Now, let's have a conversation. Hello, and welcome to Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations. I'm your host, Nicholas McKay, and today I'm joined by Tara Perry, founder of Blackpack.org, whose purpose is to restore economic and political unity in the black community. Welcome to Conversations, Tara.
1: Thank you for having me, Nick.
0: Where were you born originally?
1: Uh, I was born here in Los Angeles, California. I was raised in the Valley. Um, I went to school at El Camino High School. And um, I spent, uh, well, I have relatives who live in Los Angeles too, so I spent a lot of time in South Central um, growing up, so it's my second home. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. and then so Woodland Hills or the Valley, mm-hmm. or right to South Central, and mm-hmm. how was that kind of difference already like early in life?
1: Oh, it's very different. <laughs> um, you know, we would go there probably about every weekend to see my, my like my mother's siblings and my cousins, and they're, they're like my other siblings, so like mm-hmm. we're all a very close family. But growing up, I didn't un- I didn't notice why there was such stark differences in mm-hmm. the way we lived, but I just it was very noticeable as as a kid. Um, my cousins would go to school and whenever they would, um, like visit us and like they had new shirts on of somebody else, rest in peace, another kid. And oh, wow. they had tons of friends who died at early ages and just very young that did very much disturbed me. So, right.
0: yeah. So was that, and so who were your earliest influences then? If that was a very distinct change, but did you get both influences? Mm-hmm. What, who were your kind of, uh,
1: I had quite a few, uh, uh, influences, Um, One of my mother's friends, uh, he gave me a book on Nat Turner and um, the whole Slaver Bowl. And it was a it was a kid friendly book. And it was like, oh, wow, like this really happened. I was very aware. I was I was quite woke at at a young (laughs) age, um, knowing a lot about slavery and things like that. Um, Rosewood. um, uh, Let's see. What's the other one? Black Wall Street, mm.
0: uh, Tulsa. Oh, in okay. Tulsa. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, like, I had a lot of that knowledge and understanding that Black people had a certain plight um, just in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, my uncle Kenny, he really introduced me into politics. My uncle Reggie, he really introduced me to just the state of Black people in this country. Mm-hmm and really letting me know, like, as a black person, you're gonna be treated a certain way. Mm. Like, I was prepared to be called nigger by the time I went into school, you know? At so what age do you
0: think was?
1: Probably, what was that conversation? I remember it was Easter, I was about four years old. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very young. Yeah, very young. very young. And so, you know, even be, before going into kindergarten. So um I was I, I wasn't called a nigger though until I was about fourth grade. So wow. I think I did I think But I still did fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. But
0: that's pretty yeah. nice. So, so was th- that were those were those the first time you kinda of learned about race though, and kind of saw a distinct difference in I guess pe- how people acted mm-hmm. or, or something like that?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. Cause yeah, you're growing up around a bunch of black folks. So Mm. mm, well, so I was about four. So yeah, so pretty much my family was pretty much all I knew, but going to school in the Valley, it was very diverse Mm, and there were many, many races and we even have other, other races in my family. I have white people in my family. Mm. I have Native Americans in my family. Um, but, yeah, like, I, we already knew how to deal with other people who sure. were not us. And a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to have that experience. So
0: Right. But, so, yeah. So that's very interesting that you saw both sides and then... I, w- I don't want to say, like, humbled to it, but you kind of have to be rather than one person in one side and one person in the other. You right. don't really get that crossover. Yeah,
1: black folks, we learn to code switch very early in <laughs> life.
0: So. Code switch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's an NPR show, too. <laughs> Is like, it? I you know, like
1: I wouldn't know. But, podcasts yeah, we definitely, we learn to code switch early. Like, you have, you're, you're a certain way at home and with your family. And I think maybe even immigrant kids may... Code switch to a certain extent, like they would speak another language in their household, Very and then yeah. speak a completely different language um, uh, when they go to school and when they interact with other people.
0: So who were so other than books? Um, did you have any other kind of influences? Was it more like, you know, I'm trying to reach, but like you know, Dave Chappelle comedy, you uh-huh. know, things like that? What were your other like?
1: Uh, I would say Malcolm X, okay, the movie. Sure. Um,
0: Denzel, yes,
1: Denzel, oh, absolutely. Three hours. <laughs> First off, wait, too. but as a kid though, you know how some kids watch movies like repeatedly. That was my movie. Oh, was like, really, I don't okay, care if okay. it was three hours. So uh-huh. like that was my movie. Like Interesting. I was one of those kids who were pulled out of school to go and watch that movie. Like it was that important to our community. Very. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was monumental. So.
0: Well, so in, in something like that, like how has that changed over time? Because I'm assuming that like. Pulling your kid out to for a monumental movie per se in, in middle school is not the same as here. It's almost like the culture is, break, you know, breaking down like into yeah. the schools to to show you some of these things. But then, I what does is, what is that ch- how has that changed from your from your earliest time to the now where black culture is very in front of your face? I yeah. guess you could
1: say. Yeah, it's very uh, prevalent. The only, well, it depends on what you mean about black culture, right? Because. Mm-hmm.
0: Black well, I was more talking now. about media, culture, yeah, uh, content, like. right?
1: But it, it's like it's still up to the powers that be who decide what they decide to magnify, sure. right? Because sure. some people will give Cardi B a more higher platform than a Nick Cannon or than a um, let's see who else or Umar Johnson. I don't necessarily believe everything he believes, but he's a, he's also another black intellectual mm-hmm. or Yvette Carnell, Antonio Moore. These are people who um, are out here really doing black politics, but they're not getting the platforms oh, that Sorry. Cardi B is sure, getting. Sure. So it's kind of, it's an issue when other other people are in control of our narratives. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's still a problem. Although black culture is prevalent and, um, um, and highly imitated around the world, it's not it's not our
0: choosings. You know sure,
1: know I mean? sure. Well, not, do you think we're that, not choosing what gets uplifted? No kidding.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, well, even in the last couple of years, though, with with the uh, success of I want to say like Ava DuVenry, du, Duvernay, Duvernay, uh, DuVernay uh-huh. uh, and then even I don't want to say like Tyler Perry, but like that. that I like Tyler Perry. Th- no, too. sure. But and he opened it up, like in terms of production companies and Definitely. how they they film things and mm-hmm. getting those people into very critical. Um, jobs you know in the movie making industry but now you can really see that there's been some some switches in terms of like writer's room they are getting more diversity more black women especially directors mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's anywhere near what it needs to be but it seems like there has been a certain type of awakening in the media culture of it they're trying to get more narrative space if you will and I don't know if you have something to say that that maybe there's need to be more of that, because what you were just talking about is almost gatekeeping. Yeah, you know, like, absolutely. So what? How, how do you really get around that? Do you create your own black art, or do you do both that and, you know, do the black art inside the machine, if you will?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting, because even doing the black art inside the machine, it's like you're, you're in an echo chamber. You know, Mm. a lot of times when we have certain conversations, it's kind of like, okay, that's great. But how do we bring everyone else with us? You know, our messages kind of get stifled. And, Mm. you know, like with the ADOS movement, you get called xenophobic because no one wants to hear what you're saying. But what ADOS is really doing is saying, look, we have to critically look at the way the United States is doing immigration Mm
0: -hmm. that's the issue we're
1: not xenophobic we don't want not want immigrants to come here we don't want we do not not want people to get asylum we want the united states to pay attention to their immigration practices and how they're they're using immigrants to ignore the plight of the black community and repairing the black community you know so so those are the things that are um you know, it's very it's it's very disheartening because especially in black media now, mm-hmm. they'll talk about ADOS but they will never have an ADOS supporter on their show to come and have a discussion on what ADOS is. Like that that's another form of gatekeeping. Roland mm-hmm. Martin is notorious for this. He had Richard Spencer on his show a KKK member, or a, uh, all right. or the, the w- founder of the
0: All Right, basically All Right yeah. people,
1: to come and express his views, but you wouldn't speak to an ADOS person. Right. This is still another black movement, a black political movement. Whether you agree or disagree with it, I think they're allowed to have that platform and speak for themselves instead of being uh, rife with um, propaganda. Mm-hmm. And people are just trying to negate that cause or that discussion. I think. I think we we need very. Um, Complex or nuanced discussions about what's happening in black America. So, okay. but yeah.
0: Very good point. And but, then, so, just to kind of read, ADOS is an American mm-hmm. Descendants of Slavery, just right. for anyone that's like not familiar. Um, and um, you can kind of go into this more, but basically, the idea is that there are a ton of people in the United States mm-hmm. currently, right now, that are all descendants of American sla- slavery, basically, mm-hmm. and, that we did in the 1800s throughout till, you know, that. Uh, Sixteen nineteen it, until eighteen sixty five. So then you so tell us about like exactly what makes you know, I guess like tell us just about the movement or of ADOS and then what is its main goal, I guess right. you could say. Um,
1: ADOS is American descendants of slavery founded by Yvette Carnell and um, Antonio Moore. And it's really a political movement to really politically educate um American descendants of slavery, just saying, like, we have a specific justice claim from this country. This country owes us reparations. When we look at every indicator of uh, quality of life, black folks are at the bottom. Mm -hmm. That is systemically implemented, and it starts from slavery, from slavery to uh, Reconstruction, Jim Crow, redlining, uh, convict leasing, prison industrial complex, and it's continued. Um, ADOS is about... Getting black folks on a certain or getting us educated to a certain extent to where we do politics from this central place and most importantly, gain our reparations because Mm. we'll never be made whole. We've been broken people (laughs) and this country has specifically broken us. We're the only race that has been um, discriminated against through codified law in this country. No other race. We need policy that is going to specifically heal us and fix us. So that's what the ADOS movement is about and specifically um, more directly reparations because you can't fix you can't fix poverty with charity. You're just going to put a band-aid over it. You can't even do politics if you are a charity. So right. <laughs> so you you can't really do the real work to help these people or help us. Because
0: the, the, the main thing is policy decisions and policy, policy outcomes right. and changes rather than narrative things or spouting off optics and things like
1: exactly. that. Exactly. And it's like when you look at a lot of um, race-conscious um, policies, I wouldn't even call them really race-conscious, but even looking at Joe Biden's, um, I forgot what he called it, but the um, his supposedly black agenda, okay. if you read it, it's all about people of color and blah, blah blah blah, but it's like no, America did not do this specifically to people of color. You know what I mean? Like uh, I believe the Japanese, uh, they're considered people of color, but they make more money than white people. Like economically, mm. this country did not specifically break these people financially and put them out of economic participation. We were that was done to us specifically. We need specific redress exactly. for the harm that's been done to us. We've been economically locked out of participation. We've had resources removed from our communities. We've had crack thrown into our communities. <laughs> and the government did that. Yeah. So the government has a responsibility to fix us and not continue this benign neglect and act like nothing's happened and try to put a big old Band-Aid over everything and then just say minorities, and then give a lot of those benefits to white women. Mm. It's not going to where it should go.
0: Right, right. And then the, the, the fall of the money, when you look at the actual charitable things, like it's not really ending up in the communities or, or ending up in the real decision makers. Uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you, though, is with reparations and, and, and such a history of slavery, mm-hmm. but then we live in the land of the free. How ironic is that? that? <laughs> no, well, no, I'm saying like, <laughs> but really I'm saying, sweet. yeah, yeah, because okay. the the land of the free, the United States of America, like this American exceptionalism narrative, mm-hmm. you know, that everyone gets fed into with the United States kind of uh, history books and etc. I've seen a movement to change from that, but like one of the biggest things that people keep looking at is that we have not righted that wrong, and really? then our wrong, our country was founded on that wrong, and that's been a huge disconnect in people that have. Basically, you know, putting their heads in the sand and saying it wasn't that. And then we we moved on from that because right. it was two generations ago. And then others are saying, no, no, no. We literally cannot move in an effective way until we do something about this. So I just want to kind of talk or riff on that kind of irony that we live in the land of the free. But then this is specific. And <laughs> then there are
1: people enslaved. But we're,
0: but we're based on a, a Right. Way. And not
1: only was this country founded on on um, slavery, Slavery built the economic system of this country. Right, right, right. It's like you've paid these people nothing for hundreds of years and all of these people, the only people who were allowed to profit were white people. That wealth continues to permeate through throughout families, white families to this day. wealth. um, generational wealth. So it's like okay, well, if you want to really say that, are you willing to give us what you owe us? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to forego for, 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 your current wealth level? To and equal write that, to e- not, not only to equal it, equal it out, if you're trying to say that, oh, it doesn't matter anymore, then this money should not belong to you. Then this mm-hmm. should go to the bank of the blacks, and we will take that money. And we will put it and forward. Something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. if you, you shouldn't be, then then you shouldn't be allowed to pass things down. How many of you own um, live in a family house that maybe your great grandparents purchased? We were we were blocked from even owning property. Oh, like,
0: yeah. so and we'll get into that. Red yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, sure. so I
1: won't. I won't jump ahead, but we, you know that really exists in the white community and a lot of people don't acknowledge that. So we Mm -hmm. have to also look at the amount of wealth that black people have built for this country. Mm -hmm. As as we built it, we were locked out of participating in it, especially after we were um, set free in 1865. Black folks were the original homeless people. You release all of these people from plantations They're wandering around. They're trying to find somewhere to go, and uh, vagrancy. vagrancy, Then vagrancy laws and all that, and of course the uh, the 13th Amendment, which provided a loophole for slavery. Um, Oh well, uh, no person could be made a slave unless they've committed a crime. Convicted of a crime. So (laughs) now you're making like the very existence of blackness a crime to put people back in to put people in prison just to reenslave them. It's just slavery Mm -hmm. by another name. Mm -hmm. So that continues to this day. It's funny because when I was a kid, um, I, I forgot I was watching a movie. And remember when they would have a, a, a prison shot? They're all making license plates, you know, oh, or sure. something okay, like that. Okay. And I was like, "Isn't this like slavery?" Like I was very young and made that connection.
0: Right, right.
1: And I had no idea about the Thirteenth Amendment at the time. But that's like, yeah, that's still slavery. Companies are participating in the prison industrial complex and making money off of these people. So, again, Lots of, yeah. money. Lots not, not, of not, money. Not just
0: small pickings. Right. Either. So
1: we have to make sure we look at the economic aspect of what was created, the wealth that was created by the slaves in this country.
0: Yeah. And then especially when you look at things like um, like Watch Watchmen, you know, and then... T- I have and, yet, and, yet to see that, okay, but well, I've heard it was... That's good. how... Um, not... Like, I knew vaguely about, like, Black Wall Street and Tulsa and stuff, but that I didn't know exactly. And then watching that and seeing that visually they basically start the, the series off by, like, a shot that it was, like, amazing place. Blacks were doing their thing, and then all of a sudden, like, through race and et cetera, Jim Crow laws, you know, basically mm-hmm. that was, like, blown up. Um, and it was pretty tragic to, to see that, that, like, the one, you know, place of light, if you will, was snuffed out as soon as, you know, it starts getting to go. Yeah. And what, what I wanted to talk to you about now is basically, like, Going back to, so you left Los Angeles and went to St. John's University. Yes. What did you study? And then, like, what, and we'll, we'll get to basically linking, you know, your previous thought to now. But, like, okay. let's, let's go back to what, why, why St. John's? Why did you want to, you know, start doing whatever you were doing, you mm-hmm. know, and take us through kind of that?
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. So, when I was here, I was in a community college, and I was going to major in African-American studies. Mm-hmm. Um... And I wouldn't say I'm boring, but it was just like, what am I gonna do? I don't wanna necessarily be a professor. I don't wanna really have to go get a PhD to do something. Mm -hmm. And I take an elective course and I took sociology when I went and I loved it. I felt like it was much more encompassing. Like I felt that African American studies was just more so about the history and literature of of black authors and things like that. But it was it really tapped on the condition of black people Mm, and of course all people and how we're socialized a certain way Mm -hmm. so that's what really drew me to sociology and then doing statistics and doing our own research um, it just really called to me so I appreciated it and And we had to take criminology and so it was it I felt like and of course gender and race studies so I felt like it kind of touched on a lot of the different conditions in our society
0: and then so through that kind of and i want to be cliche and that mm-hmm. baptism of of like kind of knowledge if mm-hmm. you will you did that one way with uncle reggie and uncle uh, you know yeah. before but then you go to college and specifically how did that change once you came back though because obviously we're all young and etc when you go to college but then and then you know, you try new ideas, you try new philosophies. Yeah. But then how was that difference when you, came, when you came back to L.A.? I, I want to see the difference of yeah,
1: that. I mean, I've always been a just a matter-of-fact, hell-like-it-is person. But now I had a better, um, like, historical context. Mm, like, okay. I could see why people acted a certain way. I like, I know people who've been locked up, who've been institutionalized. I was able to kind of pinpoint... You're experiencing some certain types of trauma Or um, this is because you've been socialized in mm. this manner Like I learned to not take things so personally, honestly mm. It kind of helped me as a person To be able to remove myself from the situation And actually kind of um, acknowledge Or not acknowledge, but um, analyze mm. Not only the person, but the situation And why it's happening the way it's happening Just that- certain conversations or just certain interactions Or even, even crime for that matter You know, I had a friend who... um who uh, he mentioned something about? Um, oh well, if someone just broke in your house and stole all your Christmas gifts, are you going to tell your kids like, oh well, they're poor, you know, they should have it? And I said, yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> I th- for yeah, kind of counterintuitive because it's like, look, we can't if we're not going to sit here and fight for people to have equal housing, um, uh, living wage jobs we can't really complain about the crime that's happening. No. You know, everyone is so uh, concerned about the aftermath of crime or the, the symptom of poverty. It's a symptom of poverty. Why don't Why aren't we addressing the poverty? Like, Absolutely. that's kind of how I started looking through life. And I feel like a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to do that. So. And how
0: much empathy, though, was that? Because obviously mm-hmm. you empathize with the people that are going through that. Like you just said, mm-hmm. hey, if the conditions are there you know, someone will make a certain thing, but I'm assuming you even empathize with other people that, maybe not necessarily racist, but empathize with people who didn't see your way and that you could see, like, how they went that way. Or, or like, how is that empathy kind of, Mm -hmm. not just with people that believe in the same things that you did, but then maybe for other people who were opposite.
1: Right. Um.
0: Let's see. I wouldn't say I empathize with Yeah, I mean, you can do
1: some disclaimers. No, like, I... (laughs) I understand the plight of white supremacists to a certain extent. Um, when you see the country's changing and it's different from what you're used to, and in their privilege, they don't understand why they had it so well. Mm. These people had to be oppressed for you to have it so well. Mm-hmm. But in their in their selfish in their selfishness, they don't want things to ch- things to change. They're mm-hmm. afraid of change, and they are used to being the first ones for a job or. Being able to invest and not competing with other people. Now they're seeing black folks are kind of raising up, not really, but immigrants even are raising up and creating certain competitions for them. They feel like they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I can empathize in that manner, but I think people need to step back and acknowledge their privilege also. So I can, I can, I can be, I can be a pathetic, but I I can be critical. (laughs) No,
0: I I like that. And I, I, more so I was more going on the lines of like what this, uh, I can't remember uh, what she, she's a thinker, Bonnie DeVarco, I think she said, making the invisible visible, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like these things are invisible until really like you get it, you know, something happens, something changes. And until that happens, well, how you know, you can't tell an ignorant person they're ignorant. Right, it's yeah. like against like the definition, know. Know. <laughs> Yeah. So, so it's it's fun. It, I just am kind of trying to see like how your thought process of going away to college, but then also being very cognizant of race and stuff like that, and then coming back to Los Angeles that it's going to be moving very slow, possibly, or, like, what did you see? Because when you came back, I, I, I want to see, like, is, was there a difference or not at all? Okay, you know? so
1: when I came back from college, I, my family still lived in the Valley, and so I was here in the Valley. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I wouldn't say that that shock really hit me until I moved to Los Angeles. I got very active with Black Lives Matters. We're on the Rapid Response Team, and it was a, a trek, and it was like, look, if people are getting killed, we need to be there quick, quicker, you mm-hmm. know? So we moved to Los Angeles, um... Uh, my partner at the time, and it was like, oh my gosh, like, I was able to really see the way the local politicians were not doing anything for the local people, um, how black people were, um, overcharged for certain products, uh, we got less, um, community service okay uh or not community service customer service like when you go to rouse oh, for I example see, I see, I see. when you go to rouse for example you have to if you go to get your fish they will weigh it for you bag it for you give you the tag you have to go pay for it yourself and walk back to go pick up your fish and i was like this is crazy wow <laughs> yeah uh, when you go to every liquor store they charge you 75 cents which is almost a dollar to swipe your card yeah yeah that's not in Willow Hills. Yeah, I've
0: oh, never see, I've see,
1: never paid a transaction fee. Yeah. And not only that, the cities are much more um, populated. Mm. So you're you're just racking in so much fees from um, just just for the fee f- to use their card. So it's like you're being further taxed for being poor. Yeah. Further taxed for being overpopulated. And and I and to a certain extent, I understand why some of those fees exist because there's more risk um, because there's more poverty and there's more crime and there's more theft, but you know, I just don't. I just felt like those were just responses to the existence of poverty. Yeah. And at what point do we start sure. uh, um, addressing that?
0: Well, so so. In the in the poverty aspect, like how has that changed also with you? Because you have a four year old son. He's you, five. Five. He'll now. be okay. six in October. Okay. <laughs> yes. So how has that changed? I mean, I'm assuming have you already had that conversation with him, <laughs> or that Uncle Reggie had with you? Yeah. How has that kind of changed now that you're a mother? You know, and now mm-hmm. you're uh, active in the community more so.
1: You know, it it puts so much more fear in my heart.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I made the mistake of watching Fruitvale Station when I was pregnant. I wish I watched I'm it before.
0: There, so. uh,
1: Fruitvale Station is the uh, movie of Oscar Grant, who was killed in the okay. subway station in um, in Oakland, okay. where um, Kamala Harris was the DA at the time. Um, yeah.
0: Just a little quick note. Yeah. You know, quick note. Just put that
1: in. <laughs> so he's killed by the police. Off. He, he's killed by the police, and I don't believe they did time. I think it was two cops who were involved in the shooting. My facts could be wrong. Please don't quote me if they are. Yeah. Um, but basically, like, did little to no time. I think maybe seven months in jail. Oh, I wow. think. But yeah. Um, but yeah. But watching the movie, they walk you through uh, Oscar's life as just a person, and just you know, he lived with his mom, and he was dating a lady, and they go on a date. Oh, like
0: humanizing, like, like humanizing very, very him. Just showing, yes, yeah, I got and you. it's
1: like, um, I, and. Well, you know, no, Black Lives Matters did not, ex- did exist it exist? Yes, Black Lives Matters did exist. But in watching the movie, it made me fear to have this child. In the movie, there's a scene where the mother goes to claim her son's body. Oof. And she is reliving her birth of her son and his childhood. And I just cried. Like, oh, wow. I just cried. I'm, I'm not going to oh, cry. No, yeah. I'm not gonna cry. Yeah. So I just cried because it's like, what have i done in bringing this black child into this world right. or into this country right. so that really um, helped spark and really get me into gear like no this will not stand if we do nothing i leave this country to my son the way i found it and i refuse to do that
0: right and it's an opportunity for growth it's an it's opportunity, for, opportunity. To, for them to give their subjective kind of expertise and skill set to us and. T- Figuring out this problem, absolutely, because it's systemic, like you said. It's not; it's around every other nook and cranny until you almost like burn it through, you know, mm-hmm. or, or start fresh, or etc. That's not really going to change because these little changes are band aids over cancers. It seems like yeah. it, they're kind of going around.
1: Yeah, it's like at what point do we gut it? Mm. You know, let's not just oh, let's not just give the poor food stamps let's actually give them living wage jobs.
0: Right, right, <laughs> like, right. So
1: they can afford food and where they live. Mm-hmm. You know, um uh, when I when I moved to when I moved to um the city, um I'm trying to think well there were like no jobs. It was so difficult to find a job and I went to paralegal school after I came back. Mm-hmm. I went to UCLA and jobs wanted to pay me $17 an hour. Right. And I was like I just got into sixty-five thousand dollars of debt. This is really bad math. At what point right, does this right. degree pay off? You know, it really opened my eyes to also the game of go to college or that lie. It's oh, like sure. no, go get into further debt. To I made less money. I was I was offered jobs of making less money than um, than I had before I went to school. I got paid more per hour, and it's like now you want to pay me seventeen dollars an hour? That makes no sense. You need a roommate to afford on seventeen dollars an hour. You would need a roommate who makes the same to be able to afford a one-bedroom apartment. This is bad math, and no one's paying attention yeah, to it. Right,
0: right. And it's really, the, it, and it shows that how housing, education, politics, like it's all together and mm-hmm. it's all interconnected. Right, so, but
1: but and also really quick. Yeah. When they think, I think, uh, I would, I would no, I don't want to make excuses for the system, but. When certain jobs think that they can pay you $17 an hour, I think it's assumed that you have certain generational wealth and that you don't need to make $35 oh, an hour. Like, a, like like a college kid. Like a college kid, kid yeah, 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 or, something or something like that yeah, yeah. who has access to free housing with mm-hmm. their parents and or their parents left them a house and they only have to pay the property taxes once a year right. like or twice a year. So, um I, I think it's all—it's so many disconnects that's not happening, and especially not for the poor. Right. They're not, um, The elected officials are not doing the work to make sure that poor people are no longer poor. How do we eradicate poverty? It's also difficult when you're in a system of capitalism. Capitalism requires poverty, yeah. but a lot of people will try to mask it as something else and free enterprise and the ability to just freely make money, but no, it requires an exploited class. And when you exploit people, you're going to have poverty, you're going to have crime, you're going to have over-policing, and police brutality, and it just continues. Right.
0: And it, you don't deal with the root cause. You
1: don't deal with the which root is cause. Is it's a system that feeds itself.
0: Right. And then let's... Okay, th- there's a lot to unpack. And then, like, also, we can go into a lot of different ways. But okay. I get, I want to get this in here, here because I think that this kind of shows... Sorry, that, I'm long-winded. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I like it. it. I think our listeners will appreciate it as well. Is, um, is I did a... Uh, a uh, roundup for Juneteenth, and mm-hmm. it was all about, like, you know, anti-racism and stuff. And there was one of the charts that bleakly stood out. And basically it was U.S. black-white inequality in six charts. So income, the wealth, uh, or sorry, wealth. The median income for whites, 171000 For blacks, $17,600. Mm-hmm. That is a and, m- giant, and, and that right there, wealth, we were yeah. talking about intergenerational. That's And that's not liquid. No no, is I've, less. no, 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 no. No, I'm
1: just saying liquids less.
0: <laughs> well, well, okay. Well, this is just from seeing it, so I'm, I'm not right. even for sure. But, but yeah. the income, seventy-one thousand. So a year, you know, seventy-one thousand, and then for blacks, forty-one thousand. Mm-hmm. Poverty or unemployment rate, fourteen point two percent up to sixteen point seven percent for blacks. Mm-hmm. Poverty, eight point one percent to nine point seven percent for for blacks, and then COVID deaths, only thirteen percent of the population. Uh, but accounts for 23% of the COVID deaths. For
1: for Black people. For Blacks. And we're only 13% of the population. Right, right, right. right. And and so uh, another issue with um, ADOS is, or not issue, like another thing that we're passionate about is we need a designation for people who are um, American descendants of slaves, right? Well, let's
0: get into that. What exactly does that mean? No, I'm just saying
1: in regards to those numbers, right? Very good point. Um, uh, American descendants of slavery, um, we're people who've been here for the last 400 years, right? Our, our great, 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 greats were slaves, went through reconstruction, and uh, Jim Crow redlining and all of that. These are, our family has been locked out of wealth. We've inherited poverty. Right. <laughs> so, it's, so when they say black, they only mean racially black. That also, those numbers also include new black immigrants right. who come here, who are educated, who have um, who are the elite of where they come from? Because it's expensive to come to, to sure. America, right? Immigration is not cheap, so they're counting those numbers with Ados people. Ados wants a specific designation for people who are Ados because these numbers mask um, what, like pretty pretty much where we are this, these numbers, it it shows it higher. So these numbers are lower. So it really conflates our numbers and it makes it, it masks the failure of real ADOS people. We need to really see where we are. And, um, like in, in terms of progress, it, it kind of, um, I would say it, um, it's like, uh, it's, it's basically lying, showing that black folks are progressing more than we really are and we're not. And
0: if you look behind the veil of statistics, etc., cetera, yeah. then you if would you actually po- see an actual yes, truth. Yes, the Color
1: of Wealth Report, there was a Color of Wealth Report done specifically for Los Angeles, uh-huh. and it was one of the first reports to actually um, separate immigrant blacks and um, um, American-born blacks. I see. The wealth level, the, uh, the net wealth level for um, at liquid, uh, for African Americans or ADOs people, was two hundred dollars, and Black immigrants, Nigerians, was sixty thousand dollars. Sixty thousand dollars. Yeah,
0: that's.
1: And they just got here. Not so, even
0: comparable. Right? It's, it's not even <laughs> comparable,
1: right? But these people they get here based on education, while this country. Under educates us right, right, <laughs> and right. doesn't fund our and doesn't fund our schools properly. So we're not saying we don't want these people here. We're saying you have to look at our numbers because then when you look at our numbers and see us for for what it really is, then you're forced to do something about sure. it. But when you put us all as just racially black and you clump those numbers together,
0: white versus black, then
1: right? Right? White versus black, mm-hmm. right? Then it looks like we're doing better. Even seventeen thousand yeah. is still a low number, and it's terrible. Yep. But it still, it still doesn't show that here in Los Angeles, um, liquid wealth were worth $200. Right. And I, I believe uh, the other statistic is 50% of African-Americans or ADOS people are worth less than a dollar. Mm. There's another study in Florida. They're worth $8. Yeah, It's like those are real numbers. Like th- that's what we really have to... Um, Attack and it's it's just unfair. Well, so but, well, yeah.
0: I, so I guess my next question, and we we've briefly talked about this before, um, mm-hmm. would be then the mechanism to do that because mm-hmm. obviously people yelling at the social census. media, etc. And well, so and my thing is that is that do we have a national reckoning like the Germans did for Nazi Germany mm-hmm. after that, and then also South Africa did after apartheid with their reconciliation? We still haven't had that. Yeah. So is that what it needs to happen for? that to even be visible, you know, mm-hmm. cause like, again, like how do you get a national conversation around something like that? That is not at the national level, you know, like yeah. a, a, if it's not at a national level with courts and backing and, Etc. X Y Z one two and three. How it, are you ever going to get the wealth? Mm. Like it, it doesn't seem likely at all if people just keep doing the status quo. Keep doing the status quo. To keep. Doing- yeah,
1: I mean, and it, it does. It definitely doesn't help when people are trying to stifle the voice of of these movements, right? Mm. When we're trying to really push this forward, um, I believe we got um, American descendants of slavery on the census. I filled out my census, but it. This for twenty twenty. For twenty twenty oh, okay, it, it for the first time does distinguish ah, between the
0: two. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um so yeah, that's one So actual way.
0: numbers will start coming hopefully okay. I, I, okay. But
1: if people fill them out right, right? We have a of course. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. and we have we have other movements of black folks against it. There are a lot of pan-Africanists that feel like we are one, and blah blah blah. blah. And it's like I, see. I get it, and that's great in a real utopian world. But black folks who are really trying to get reparations or even to get repair, right? The first step—I'm a paralegal. The first step in um, a lawsuit, you have to show standing that you have the right to sue. Yeah. You have to show that you have that you are a victim of all of these different yeah. atrocities yeah. by this country. You have to show that your people were here. Um, way before 1960, in 1965, immigration act is when we really had the real surge of immigration from other countries. So if your great, if your grandparents are born here, likely you're a descendant of slaves. Right, if you're a right, black person, right, right. you know. Um, so it's very easy. But there are a lot of people who are pushing for pan Africanism, and so we have this in the black community. Well, but
0: is that, but is that just a. Because it seems like me, as soon as I hear that, it seems like it's just a, uh, like a normative definition, distinction of like, like yes, philosophically, yes, we're all together. You know what I mean? All You and I, like we're all brothers and sisters. We're right. all humans. Like, I mean, if you want to say that, like yeah, you know, <laughs> everyone with uh, levels, is a descendant is of in. Eve yes, yeah, exactly. to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so my thing is like, but in the policy and when you're talking brass tacks of like, what exactly are we wanting in terms of goals and then how to do that? Then it has to come down to something like a reparations or like a ados or things like that.
1: Right. I mean, we need everyone on our side. We need people to really see the numbers, like the numbers I gave you in regards mm-hmm. to the um, Color of Wealth report of Los Angeles.
0: And we'll, re- I'll link that in the, yeah. the sh- show notes. Too. That
1: report. We need everybody to know these numbers to understand right. why it's important to make the distinction. It's not about xenophobia. It's not about, um, it's not about hatred of other black people. It's about we are doing poorly. When you go to prisons, these are ADOS black men. These are not Nigerian black men. These are not Ethiopian black men. And that is by design. Mm. Because the immigrants that they allow in, they're, they're using them to, to, to mask our failure. And well, they're
0: very specialized. Yeah, uh, yeah I see they're very saying. specialized. Yeah, yeah. But I mean,
1: like the con- the way the country is
0: using them. Ah, and we okay, need yes. and we
1: need also immigrants to be in alignment with our movement, too, because they should understand our plight and say, you know what? No, we need to show that that this that this specific ethnicity of black people are not progressing. And why? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's about the country actually trying to, you know, act like their hands are clean mm-hmm. and they're not. You owe us a certain amount of money. it's a minimum of seventeen trillion dollars, and that's just cash. Mm-hmm. We still need other reparative programs such as um lineage therapy uh we need um education educational grants and um and healthcare, Mm -hmm. we There's a lot that we need. Just a cash um, check is not going to uh, fix everything, but you owe us that money. (laughs) But you're going to take the check. We're going to cash that check, and And we (laughs) need that money because that's going to allow us to actually practice group economics. You know, a lot of other uh, communities are able to hold on to the money that they make because they produce a lot of things that they use. Mm -hmm. We don't have the money to actually produce. We only in, have enough money to consume when people talk about how much money black people spend, but that's because that those are necessities. That's like our laundry detergent, groceries, mm-hmm. your rent, your mortgage, your car, you kinda need a car, LA, <laughs> you kinda need sure. a car. Yeah. But it's like, beyond that, no, we're not really spending frivolously because we don't have that excess income. Yeah. We We don't have enough to produce, to mass produce for our people what we need.
0: And that's been a big thing that I've even known is like black savings. You know, like yeah. that's been a big thing for I, hundreds of what's years. What's the savings? Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, all, like, well, it's just like save as much as you can, <laughs> yeah, like as much as possible yeah. under the mat, under the, you know, mattress, like anywhere right. that this bank account, that bank account. Um, but then again, when you start talking about that. It's, not
1: every, it's like saving, saving is a luxury.
0: Like yes, if, if, no, if, was, if I'm
1: working one of these jobs, that wanted to pay me $17 an hour. I'm a single mom. I went to college too. Right. got a student loan debt and have to pay eighteen to 1800 to $2,000 a month for um, just an apartment just here in Los Angeles.
0: Effort, yeah.
1: Need a car, paying for child care. Yeah. What's the savings? Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. That's yeah. kind of a privilege that people have that they don't pay attention to.
0: Sure, sure. Well, then, so some of these privileges um, must have been enough for you to want to do something about this because this year you basically wrote in, uh, you were a writing candidate for LA city council district eight. Yeah. So district eight is the, notably the Crenshaw district, mm-hmm. Limerick Park or Limerick Park, excuse me. Limerick. Yeah. Limer. Uh, Baldwin Hills, West Adams, kind of that area. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, Nipsey Hustle is from around that area. Mm-hmm. He had his, uh, flagship store there. Um, there's notably no African American women on the city council. Yeah. Notably. Uh, so not just, like, what was your experience and, like, what were your goals, but how can we better represent the local community and politics moving forward?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I, and, and like the story I was telling you about, like, going to the grocery stores and seeing, like, the different treatment, um, I decided to, um, I was working at a nonprofit that specialized in helping black people get employed, And I was asked to run, well, not just me, there was an uh, an announcement that was like, hey, there's neighborhood council uh, meetings happening and they have some vacancies, like is anyone interested in running? I thought about it and I was like, while I'm here and I'm looking at these numbers of unemployment, like, uh, black folks are 40% underemployed, unemployed in the Los Angeles yeah. area. So I was like, okay, well, how do I do something about it? So I decided to run. Secretary was open. I won that seat. But neighborhood council here, we're direct liaisons to, um, LA city council mm. from the community. we're supposed to take the demands of the community to LA city council. And so I get in and I'm just noticing all the BS. I was like, wait, why are we talking about what the councilman wants, what the councilman said? I was Why? Like what's happening in the belly
0: of the beast, man?
1: I was not. I was man. I was so not expecting that. Was that
0: the naivety or like what was that? No,
1: absolutely. It was like, I'm going to work for the people and I'm just going to take like the demands of the people. We're doing this. You know, I was like, what is happening? And I had to make an announcement and they were like, okay, calm down, AOC. Like, you know, because I was very fiery and I was like, this is not okay, And this is not the councilman's space. We're supposed to take the demands from the people to the councilman. Right. I was, it was This was like my first day, and they're looking right. at me like, will you chill out? Um, so there was one time, because I was uh, working for this organization, um, I asked uh, his aide, because they come and they do a report at our meetings, and I asked her for um, an updated jobs report. Now, his office, um, should I name him or no? no? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so our councilman is Marquise Harris-Dawson. Yeah. And so District he, 8, District eight yeah. So, he, we asked for a jobs report because he helped implement the Targeted Local Hire Program, mm-hmm. which the Targeted Local Hire Program was supposed to give a, 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 an allotment of a 1,000 jobs specifically for black people because we had such high unemployment mm-hmm. in our community. So, I asked, well, how many people have been hired, just from this district, not even black, not white, just from this district, how many have been hired? We have 40% unemployment just in that district, right? Mm-hmm. So... She comes and gives a report, and she goes, "Oh, we've hired over six hundred people." I said, "From this district?" She said, "Yes." I said, "From this district?" And she's like, "Yes." And this is October, and so, and I pull up my phone because uh, he put an actual chart on his Instagram, mm-hmm. and it said total the entire city has hired over six hundred people. It was it was like six hundred and thirty-five, oh, and they've only hired from the district. It was like. 53 people. Mm. This is a misleading number. Mm-hmm. Like and I'm working directly with ex-cons and people who really need jobs and people who really are are hurting and Nipsey Hussle had just gotten killed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people had jobs lined up or working with Nipsey Hussle and all that shuts down Oh yeah,
0: that was a big Yeah, it was a drummer. big deal. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. I was
1: just like this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And not only is it not okay, your lack of urgency it's not okay for the situation. And mm. then you would come and mislead the people when giving your jobs report. But
0: that was like that that shining a turd kind of thing. That's like showing you guys, hey, yeah. this looks great, but it's, it's like, not, are you
1: kidding me? I yeah. said, no, check receipts. I was like, I got receipts. And I was like really upset. I left that meeting. I was like, I'm running for office. I don't have no money. <laughs>
0: Ah, we're, doing buddy, this, but we're doing this. I can't. This will not stand. And I was, you know, and it
1: was like if nothing else, we would at least have this conversation like mm-hmm. you need to get on your stuff about. Can we curse? No. I'm <laughs> okay, You need to get on your stuff about this targeted local hire program because people have applied. They're waiting and right. you're you're giving out false numbers of how well you're doing. Why would you do that? And then you're upset about people committing crime. I have my friend Marcus who was getting stopped every day by the police. You know, he, he's looking for jobs but he can't find work and he has a kid to take care of and he gets arrested because he's he's got drugs on him. This is this is the issue. We can't just keep popping folks for having drugs or selling drugs when we have elected officials who are in here playing games and giving us false numbers because they don't want us to do anything about it. So I decided to run. This was October. and. It finally opened up in November. Yeah. And so I went, I went, I filled out everything. I didn't know you had to do all that stuff. It was, it was a real.
0: um, Like declare your candidacy. Yeah, declare your candidacy. But
1: I didn't know you had to go and get all these signatures in less than 20 days, Mm -hmm. which is, which the system in itself is rigged because you have to have money to run. And it's like, look, if I'm an everyday person, I actually work a job how am I supposed to get these signatures Don't (laughs) right but you know I got enough signatures but of course they disqualify Mm -hmm. it was seven of us it was seven of us trying to get on the ballot only one got on the ballot the incumbent so it was two of us who decided forget this we're still gonna run Mm -hmm. you know people need to know what's happening so I I still I still ran and I got a lot of traction toward the end but of course like if I had the money I would have, I probably would have beat him, mm-hmm. you know, and he's someone who's only in office because he got 7,000 votes, mm. you know, because he ran So the bar in of entry is not it's, exactly that crazy. Well, it's not that it isn't, um, if you get 50% plus one uh, in the primary in LA City Council race, You win. You don't, you don't, there's no runoff. Oh, I
0: see what you're saying. But he
1: ran in 2015, which was an off year for the presidential election. So it's a low turnout. Mm -hmm. Only 12,000 people voted and he Uh, got 7,000. So, you know, if I had enough funds, I could, and I think in this, this round, he only got 30000 mm-hmm. So, you know, if there was enough funding and if I had enough time, but... Are you, you thinking
0: know, about it next time?
1: I'll definitely yeah. I consider running again, especially if I can get the funding. But, you know, we definitely need more people, more young people to go out and, and run. There's there's too much corruption in L.A. City Council. Right. But in regards to the black women conversation mm-hmm. or the topic, uh, only one in the history of L.A. City Council has ever sat on the... Sat sat on a board was um, Jan Perry, she's the only black woman to ever mm. be elected to LA City Council. Wow! And of course she turned out though,
0: but in what year it? was
1: that? Uh, she turned out I believe in 2012.
0: Oh, okay, so yeah, so recently, like 2000 then. to 2012.
1: So <laughs> yeah, but she's the only one. Yeah, right, right. But right
0: now we are
1: not represented, and um, so we should be.
0: Yeah, that well that's that's one thing that uh, like is representation is one thing that we were talking about is like making the invisible visible. And one of the things that you mentioned before is jobs and uh, Mm -hmm. homelessness and that kind of like mix. And so I'm going to put out, uh, one of these statistics, according to the Los Angeles Homelessness uh, service authority, black Angelenos represent over 40% of LA's homelessness population. Mm -hmm. And then again, for a little bit of more background, um, District Eight, Limerick Park, uh, etc. is very close to the new Inglewood football stadium. Oh yeah. So then t- let's tie in like that jobs, where you were talking about, markets the the jobs guarantee for the local job task force or mm-hmm. center. Because the idea is is that this new stadium comes in, billions of dollars, you got to build it, but then who's going to build it? Right. People in the community, out 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 of state contractors, mm-hmm. etc. And then so one of the things to then get that stadium to go into Inglewood was all the support that all these local jobs would then come and then you would have people from West Adams people from Baldwin Hills working at that stadium right. and those But then that hasn't necessarily no, transpired. No, no, so No,
1: not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and especially through the target of the hire. So it's like even with the contractors like they had to technically bid and I believe you had to be local to bid on this project but there was uh, there is a contractor who is basically from, like, Oregon, mm-hmm. but they opened up an office in 90043 in, in the oh, zip code. Yeah. That office doesn't exist anymore. So it's like, right. where's the real due diligence? Like, mm-hmm. how, who's approving these uh, these contracts? And who's making sure that these are real companies and not just a shell so that they can qualify exactly. to ap- apply? Um, they are also... Um, claiming they can't find enough people. So they're hiring a lot of people from Orange County, from mm. other places and, and bringing in other contractors. There aren't, there aren't local people working on these projects. Even when I worked for the, the nonprofit, uh, there, were, there were people who had to actually go on construction sites and count the black people. Oh. And there were nearly none. Like right. you're not hiring from this community, which is the last like predominantly black community right. in the area. You have no black people? You know, they created a lot of loopholes and the target local hires not being enforced.
0: Yeah. And then that all goes back to, again, the politics of allowing it because yeah. then that's just corruption. Oh, yeah. They definitely
1: whatever. turn a blind eye. But it's like, what are their how are they being punished uh, when they're when it's not being enforced? Are mm. they being fined? Are mm. they losing money? Nothing's happening. And there's to no civil. transparency
0: or due diligence of keeping up with that in right. the public interest. Right,
1: but then this nonprofit has to actually come into existence <laughs>
0: to do that to work. Do that yeah, work. yeah, no kidding. Why? Yeah, yeah. Why
1: don't you have, you created this program, this Target Local Hire program. Um, why don't you have an enforcement arm in mm-hmm. your office? Right. What are you guys doing?
0: Yeah, because nice. if you think that you're going to have something without an enforcement arm, then how much? Yeah, it's a, a right. Exactly.
1: How how effective is it going to be?
0: <laughs> not. not it, it's very. just <laughs> it's
1: just fueling gentrification or getting people out of there. So yeah.
0: Well, a great transition to gentrification. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how you and I met? Um, basically, we were going to try and do a short film about Destination Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it was going to be. Well, to give a little background, uh, Destination Crenshaw is a fifteen million dollar MTA project. To quote, preserve Black LA through art, but that has since turned into, as you say, rapid gentrification. So, can we? Can you tell us about kind of the project's origins and then what has happened since? Because I think that ties in also with the jobs. That ties in with the optics, the politics, everything. Is that like it seems like a great idea? And even well, I
1: don't know who said this was a great idea. And and like and and speaking honestly, because um, I work with a lot of people who were in favor of it at the time and their their sentiments has changed um but i was not living in the district at the time when when the when the project was happening because they had a lot of hearings but from from my from my understanding is uh destination crenshaw and the the mta project it's cleared out like because crenshaw is our our black business corridor it's cleared those out How do you actually think that you're preserving black L.A.? You're not preserving black L.A. Like they usually say the first signs of gentrification is an art gallery and a cafe. You're going to turn this into an art gallery to memorialize the black people that used to be here Mm. because we're getting pushed out. The black businesses are closing and we're getting priced out of housing.
0: Yeah, it it seems like this MTA, like it it came in as, well, they did it economically and fiscally through as a line. So, hey, we're going to connect this through the MTA system. Mm -hmm. But then how we're going to do it, then we're going to put it in the middle of Main Street, basically, and tear up all these things. And then also we're gonna put art, which I was more along the instances of like murals and artistic and you know, to show black art, which is great. But then showing that but not doing the policy, again, that's kind of like yeah. that band aid over a cancer. You're not doing anything. And then again, specifically to the your gentrification point is that this was supposed to be a boon for for black businesses in the area, in that business corridor. And what's happening instead are these people who are being priced out for then speculators or hedge funds or other, not maybe not hedge funds, but speculators of real estate, et cetera, to then get people to move in at higher prices. In those, you know, things of black, uh, in, in that black corridor. So just talk about a little bit more of how exactly that changed from like the idea was great, but yeah. then, uh, uh, maybe at the beginning, but then changed. Like another.
1: even with MTA, they were supposed to give out certain grants for uh, businesses that were negatively impacted by I their okay, construction, great sure, right? Sure. A lot of people didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. They were able to deny people either for either not filing taxes or have no right paperwork or whatever, what have you. But it's like, then who created this process? Who did not acknowledge how the way some people may be locked out of, you know, participating in these grants? You know, even in Los Angeles, we're very um, undocumented uh, friendly. There are certain things that they will not bar you from if you are undocumented. They're not going to say, oh, well, if you don't have a social security card, then you can't participate in this. There there should have been more... um, more targeted regulations for the area.
0: So those barriers and of entry to- and stuff like to- that. Uh,
1: tons uh, of yeah. barriers mm-hmm. for entry for those grants. So they kept that money.
0: Right, <laughs> But then
1: black businesses closed. So we were just kind of left hanging.
0: And then now you see also, I think you mentioned uh, in the spring, about how you're seeing more of an exodus of even people not living there. Like they've gone yeah. to move to, say, Lancaster or or maybe uh, out in the west va- or the very deep east va- east east of Los Angeles yeah. or even gone to a southern state. Yeah, like
1: even like Riverside. and Riverside, stuff like that. that's, yeah, yeah. that's what I was trying to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. A lot of places stop taking Section 8 and housing vouchers. Um, supplemental right. housing has kind of disappeared. Um, and even low-income housing, the way the metric, the way it's, it's, um, the way it's shaped is they do it based on the county's median income. Mm-hmm but the median income in our area is $32,000 but right. the county's median income is 75 the affordable housing mm. <laughs> that the way they're negotiating these contracts when they're allowing people to do construction in our area they will require them to have affordable housing a, a certain amount they'll they'll negotiate how much affordable housing will be there but their affordable housing is still pricing out the area right. because at 32,000 a year is that's the median income these people can't afford, still can't afford to live there, so they still they have they find themselves having to relocate, and it's on purpose. Even um, first-time homebuyer programs, they'll give you um, they'll give you assistance for um, down payment for homes that are like three hundred and eighty thousand. Homes in South Central are going for seven hundred thousand, mm. so I can't even participate in the first-time homebuyer programs because those are also um like even like the relocation is kind of double pronged like they're helping expedite this right, right. you can't afford to get afford, people out, and get get people people out. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah and, and it's an like Airbnb. what am i supposed to do with <laughs> 380 dollars 8 hundred eighty thousand dollars. i can't buy nothing i can't even buy a condo in this area right, right. so you know it's kind of um you know it's i wouldn't say double fisting but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's expediting the process definitely and it's unfortunate and a lot of people are not paying attention to What needs to be done, the calls that need to be made, Um, there needs to be affordable housing, and they need to do it based on the local area's median Mm. income, not the county.
0: Yeah, because then that could be definitely skewed to some other parts. It's definitely
1: skewed, absolutely, yeah.
0: Um, So second part of that, uh, how we met, was first the Destination Crenshaw, but then after that, we were going to... Try and do some type of event, kind of concert, uh, celebrating the life of Nancy yeah. Hussle. Yeah, I maybe mean, um, rest. Yeah, exactly. Rest in power. Uh, but I wanted to read this event prop um, yeah. that we wrote. And, and, like, it's very funny that uh, I read it yesterday and I was like, man, like, hilarious. <laughs> like, to think back. But, again, like, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that when when you try to do something, it just comes apparent. And then, like, now looking back at it, it's like... It, it, this would be this would have been so interesting to have before the George Floyd's mm-hmm. the brianna Taylors and so it's a little long-winded but but I'll try to power through no, the purpose of black pack presents is to edutain, education through entertainment the black community it is a political education for the public mass as a concert black pack wants to reignite the political flames of the black community taking them with a the responsibility of getting back involved and facing them with the consequences of what happens when they're not politically engaged. Our neighborhoods are being gentrified. Our black men are overly incarcerated. Our neighborhoods have been stripped of resources to the point there is nothing left for our children, and we aren't doing anything about it. We have the responsibility to transform our apathy toward politics and remember what our people have achieved in recent history. We want our message to be conveyed by the heavy hitters of hip-hop to remind the public Black voices matter. Black money matters, and black votes matter. Mm-hmm. Bringing people, black people, together to commemorate the memory and philosophies of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Nipsey Hussle. So that that was pretty ambitious. Yeah. But at the same time, along the through lines of what we're talking about is some type of mechanism. So what do you have as, as to say? Is that like we talked a little bit about this, but what is black culture? You know, what is like black media? Like Nipsey Hussle all of a sudden it shined a big old spotlight on, D- on District 8, mm-hmm. even though he did pass. There's a giant spotlight onto that that now we're talking about jobs, gentrification, you know, those type of things that maybe District 8 wouldn't have gotten that love. You know? yeah. And I'm not saying that, that he needed to die for that, but what are some of the things of black culture that needs to be pushed more into the mainstream?
1: Um... Like, and, and, you know, and I love Nipsey and the, and the work that he was doing. And he was, because he was a self-made millionaire, you know, he, he, he had the resources to really do for the community. Mm. I wish everyone adopted his care and love for his community the way he had, you know, for, to stay there, to continue to live there. To open up his his flagship store there. Yes, absolutely. And it's like to show these kids that you can do it. I think that's wonderful. I wish, um, you know, the only thing is, um... I wish I was able to have a conversation with Nipsey about um, the Color of Wealth Report mm-hmm. and, and where black yeah, people are right. in, in terms of wealth, right? Most of us are not able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, his, and his, um, his absence, it leaves a, a major void in our community, and people miss him and miss, miss that presence. But a lot of us have uh, financial difficulties in obtaining that. And, like, I really wish that I was able to have that conversation with him. But, you know, I really love how he left that fire to to um, really push for young people to really care about our community and do more. You know, I would have loved for him to do a, a get out the vote campaign Something and like things that, like yeah. that. Yeah, because he really got it. He really understood it. He was in multiple talks with Marquise Harris-Dawson and um, just really trying to do more. So I think, you know, I think black culture and, and hip hop has... Um, you know, a huge place in politics, especially black politics. But it's like we have to get on the right messaging. We have to be anchored in the right data and pushing certain narratives because now buying back the block like kind of is something that Nipsey has left, but buying back the block doesn't anchor itself in... um, how do we get access to that capital? Because mm-hmm. lack of access to capital is why we cannot buy back the block,
0: right? You know, right, right. Because again, like you just don't have the capital or the funds to then do it at the beginning. But mm-hmm. if there was some type of not trust, but say like a Nipsey Hustle bank account, or right. something that All of a sudden, the, <laughs> grease, the you know, it's greasing the wheels, you know. Yeah,
1: and and, and it's and it's just it's so unfortunate because I feel like he just left such a wonderful legacy, and I understand his family is still mourning. The community needs. The presence of Nipsey, yeah. right, like, right now. And like we saw, last year.
0: Well, well I mean, it, yeah. it was very surprising, or not surprising, it was just I was taken aback, because obviously I'd heard about Nipsey, I'd listened to his mixtapes and stuff over the past couple years, but then when he died, though, like... The community really came out and showed like Mm -hmm. i mean kobe like obviously is a different level of la or whatever but i i want like and kobe is like a a, you know a a giant like brand if you will but nipsey when he passed it was so much more at home you know so much more in the community that the community really was hurting Mm -hmm. out of his lack of presence because he was a rock in that community in terms of just capital and, and notoriety, but then just being there—the fact that he was around. Like a lot of yeah, people, you know, Kevin Hart, help. other people that are, or even I think I, I don't want to say Kevin Hart, don't but I'm trying to think of a uh, good kid, Mad City, mm-hmm. what's his name, uh, the rapper from Compton.
1: Oh, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. Uh-huh.
0: Like it's like he doesn't live in Compton anymore. I'm not saying that that's necessarily you have to. Right. I'm just saying there's a difference of Nipsey saying that I'm gonna put my thing in the community yeah. and then do that. Um, So the outpouring of support was really, I don't know, inspiring or?
1: Yeah, no, it it was definitely um, inspiring. I I was not fortunate enough to have met Nipsey. I wish I was able to. You know, pretty much all my family members.
0: (laughs) Somehow, someway. Yeah, you know,
1: all in the circle. Everybody's (laughs) got pictures with him, you know, and like he was just so, um, he was just so down to earth and just so welcoming. And he just did not have that I'm a celebrity vibe. And I think that's something else that, that the, the community really missed was to be able to reach out and touch him and mm. to just show up at his Good store one. and just see him there. Um, and honestly speaking, because, you know, I had f- newly moved to L.A., it was always so much traffic right there. So I always... Oh, on Crenshaw I, right there. Crenshaw and, yeah, and yeah, Slossom. Yeah, 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 but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I didn't recognize it until until after Nipsey passed, and because right. um, my brother was telling me about Black Pack, and he was like, "You need to get with Nipsey Hustle," and I was preparing to present to him wow. the week he was killed, and so it was really wow. it like I went through some real <laughs> emotional trauma. Like this was my best friend, and it was right. like the more you found out about him and how much he cared about his community, him opening a Vector ninety, and really. Um, putting his money where his mouth was mm-hmm. when when it came to taking care of his community and making sure that the youth had the next uh, had access to the next wow. um you know um the next big thing as far as like technology and learning the code and right, things right. like right. that. And that it's like who else is co-working doing that? Space,
0: right. Yeah, like, the director, co-working yeah, space,
1: yeah, yes, like, but the bo- I believe uh, the bottom floor um I haven't I haven't been inside cuz it's pretty much been you know locked down uh, since he was killed um but there's another floor that actually does the teaching and um, and um, like kind of STEM teaching for for teenagers oh, I see, I see, I see, and I see. to prepare them for uh, careers to go into Silicon Valley. Right. So like. And that That's we, major.
0: And it's something to say also that this was just him starting too. Yes, like just this, starting. This was the first things he just started Just to do.
1: starting. You so know, you can
0: imagine what it could have been. Absolutely.
1: But that. I wish many more celebrities actually took responsibility for not only the hood, but like just for the black community. Yeah. Um, a lot of people aren't pouring back into the black community. And it's like, we could be so much further along. If a lot, a lot more people were doing that, mm-hmm. so yeah.
0: Well, so what? So I guess like some, to go from someone who also, so was very in, involved in the black community, to someone who basically like is known only for his, his relationship with the black community is mm-hmm. you hosted a panel discussion a couple months back during COVID uh, mm-hmm. on Malcolm X's 95th birthday. Um, what lessons do we still need to hear from Brother Malcolm in two thousand
1: twelve? Oh, that black people are political chumps. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the message. It's one of the messages. Um, Ballot or the bullet. His speech. It is so on point right. for what's happening today. And you know, he talks about basically Democrats and Republicans are pretty much the same thing. We just need to worry about what it is that Black people need and what right. we're going to have to make demands. Absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 about capital. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and about obtaining our freedom by any means necessary. You know, right. Malcolm X mentioned. Um, I forgot it was an interview, but someone asked him, like, um, what is the what is the the biggest risk for justice and he's, or freedom? He said is death. Like, uh, you got to right. be willing to die for this. Right. And we need more people to think like that. And it's interesting because when I, I scheduled the conversation, it was right. Be, it was way before George Floyd when I scheduled oh, it. Yes, but yes, yes. it happened. Sure. Um, it was scheduled for the day after the uprising started. And the conversation was really anchored in. How do we get people to mobilize and organize and kind of like reignite that fire Mm -hmm. of um of being revolutionaries and so it was kind of like oh we here now now what's the plan now what do we need to do and how do we move forward the
0: organization of like yeah
1: it's like now that we're mobilized now we got to organize it but it was the conversation was really how do we mobilize because it kind of just felt like everyone's been kind of like complacent chilling you know like Um, Like 2016 was a really big year, especially for um, uh, Black Lives Matter um, activists, um, because so many people were killed back to back to back. And then the country responded Mm. by electing Trump. So (laughs) that was a whole other thing um, that that pretty much um, I felt like it kept feeling like, oh, black people were were getting back up and getting tired of what was happening to us. And it's about to be a revolution and people kind of got comfortable again. But um, the murder unfortunate murder of uh, George Floyd kind of reignited that, and I just felt Malcolm's spirit there. It was like, this is what we need. We are now mobilized now we have to organize it now what do we do and how do we move forward mm-hmm. so um, and, and the, the concert that you mentioned was one of those uh, mechanisms that was supposed to be used to mobilize
0: people mm-hmm. so well yeah, short of a concert there. and then short of like Malcolm being around, yeah. it really is um, is that now like the message is out there because George Floyd, unfortunately, Breonna Taylor, uh, recently, as of uh, two days ago, Jacob Blake, mm-hmm. and, uh, and many, many others uh, have reignited a national conversation about race, policing, government. So, I mean, what what has gone well, you know, in that, and in, in talking about, like, maybe what, what would Malcolm say that we're doing well at? And then other things that we oh, still need say? to, you know, or not just Malcolm, obviously, you know, Kate and yeah. stuff like that. Just the movement, because obviously in the last couple months you've seen that the fact that we are still having this conversation, people are still out in the street. Yeah.
1: I mean, the like, police just killed somebody, know. you know, like But, this, but
0: the apathy Saturday. is not there what it used to be because this was happening even before. But now it's like every weekend there is massive, massive. And you can talk about that, like, that could be some election stuff mm-hmm. with Trump, etc. But like, yeah. what are the things that are going well in the organization of this kind of movement? And then what are some things that still need to be worked on?
1: Yeah, um, I would think Malcolm would be impressed by um, the allyship that's come about. Because, you know, know, um, he he went from being a black separatist. And and I would say that, I wouldn't say that he was no longer a black separatist, but I think he he acknowledged that later in life that, you know, we're kind of all one and connected and um, just brotherly love amongst each other. I think he would really be impressed by the amount of allyship that's come about. That's a good point. Yeah, I I think so. Definitely. I've been, I've been impressed by it, you know, like I, (laughs) like I was at one protest, a police car was set on fire by the police, by the way, (laughs) by the police, um, and a, and a white girl jumped up. She said, "I'll cover you. Go!" And I had my speaker box because I was like giving speeches or whatever. She and I think her name was Abby. She's like, "My name is Abby." No, Annie. Annie. She's like, "My name is Annie." Like, Shout and she's like Annie. shielding me. She she became my human shield. I was like, "That's how you ally." Like, yeah. I loved it. You know, it was really um, I was really taken aback. But I think this generation is really tired of the racism yeah. and tired of people being um, bottom casted. And black folks have definitely been bottom casted and. The allyship is just amazing. Um, what needs more work is more um, unity on a black agenda. Mm-hmm. We need to really come to unity on a black agenda. We need to create a code and we need to stay on code. There are too many different black conversations that are happening mm-hmm. that can start canceling each other out. Mm-hmm. And even like Kamala Harris, black woman, supposedly. Um, but... Doesn't necessarily mean she's good for black people. Mm. I think Malcolm would be disappointed in how many black folks are just like, "Oh my gosh, she's one of us, and we're gonna vote for her." Mm. Knowing her record, the way she's overly incarcerated black men, she's never prosecuted a killer cop,
0: kept people on death, row, kept people on
1: death row, mm. um, kept people in prison to continue to staff these um, these uh, fire camps mm-hmm. for the cheap labor, you know. And these are black people. These are black men. My cousin was in one of these fire camps. Right. That hits too close to home. She's been she's almost 50 years old. She has no track record of doing anything for black people. We need to be more critical of who we're selecting as our leaders and stop just falling for the okie doke. You know, Mm. he talked in Ballot of the Bully. He talks about uh, basically black places and high and high pla- black faces in high places, who are still used to push a, a white supremacist agenda. Sure. I think he would be very critical of black people not doing politics correctly. In terms of we don't need to be blue or red. Our politics need yeah. to be black, and we need to focus on the needs of the black community, and not just keep allowing, as he would say, Uncle Tom's um, in here to just. Be fake
0: leaders for well, us. Well, not to bring up again what happened last night, but the Re- Re- Republican National Convention was on, and who spoke first? I mean, who watched of, that? I well, I, I saw on <laughs> Twitter was uh, Herschel Walker. You know, he was a big-time football player. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean for the University of Georgia, and he's right. one of the first people to it. And it's like, how are you aligning with that? But at the same time, like personal politics, et cetera, we can't get it. But at the same time, I can I can see that that critical voice of Malcolm would be, you know, th- throwing critique around yeah. pretty pretty. Uh, easily yeah, I like, guess you could he, say. like he
1: compares the democratic party and the republican party he says the republican party is the wolf you notice know the wolf you know it's vicious and and yada oh, yada I see, I see. and and the democrat party is the fox like they they slick and they're going to convince you but they're going to help walk you to your own demise too they're just going to <laughs> they're just going to mask it differently right. but they because they're get slick a
0: something on the side right that. or yeah. or
1: or uh kind of like 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 feed you carrots as they walk you into the, walk death you dungeon. To the to the to the lion's mouth. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, like just cause you gave me carrots don't make you make you nicer. You just took me to the to the uh, to the lion's mouth on right. a detour and the wolf just took me directly there. Right. But they still you still got to the same place. Right. You know, so like I think Malcolm would be very critical of the way we're doing politics right now. And we're not, um, we're not asking for specific things. Uh, when I ran for city council, I met someone who's a Republican. And I wouldn't say we, our, our um, issues are in alignment, but it was like, okay, like, it just made me think that, oh, well, maybe not all Republicans are bad. Like, I feel like their historical context is, is an issue. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we don't have in-depth enough conversations. We just really are... Party? Oh, hell no. Democrat? Hell no. Uh, Republican? Hell no. Like, I don't, Mm. I think that the conversation deserves more nuance Mm. and we're not having it.
0: Sure.
1: I think black folks just should be independent and just make people court our votes. We're not doing that. We need to be uh, non-party affiliates so that they come and court our votes. Because right now we're considered a capture electorate for the Democratic Party, which makes them feel like they don't have to do anything for us which is why they won't give us a black agenda right now. Yeah,
0: and a specific thing that does, rights these ills that right. we've been talking about. Um, so we talked, we mentioned MLK, we mentioned some other uh, visionary thinkers. Um, James Baldwin, Fred Hampton Jr., and Toni Morrison were kind of my baptism into black thought and literature. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of popular books around right now yeah. regarding this. Uh, so White Fragility, um, Robin DiAngelo, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, and the older ones such as Race Matters by Cornel West, and mm-hmm. then Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis. Um, who, are so, who are some of the voices that we could amplify maybe for listeners for more research or to to kind of think of that? Because we, we've talked about some of the big ones but yeah. and, and skirted around some other ones, but what are some other r- big voices that maybe... You know, we should be honing in on Voices.
1: a little bit more. Um, as far as who would be the audience, or
0: or, or even is, is, are, is it good we, to even read those? How to be an anti-racist, like, or yeah. is it? Hey, like it's it's good to read, but then there's like, X, Y, and Z. I
1: think I think a, a doctor Sandy Darity or a William Darity. I know they do call him Sandy, but I think his book is under his name William Darity. Um, He wrote from uh, Here to Equality or him and his partner actually and he discusses like the entire background of the plight of black people Mm -hmm. and how we've been economically disadvantaged and gives the entire formula for reparations Mm. I think people should definitely read that book Um, There is a color of law and it talks about how we were discriminated against and um, and just pretty much I wouldn't say addressing reparations, but Uh, it gives certain prescriptions for how we can make it right and it Mm. and helps to quantify exactly like the amount of wealth that black people have been locked out of i can't remember the author's name at this moment but um it's a jewish white guy he did he did a great job on that book um what who else um uh yvette carnell on youtube she is amazing um Antonio Moore on YouTube, he's great also, and and they're authors too in their own right, and they write articles mm-hmm. and they publish them, but um, they really help to contextualize the existence of black people and or ADOS people in this country mm-hmm. and uh, the com- comparison and contrast with um, immigrants and not in, a, in an immigrant bashing way. It's just a real um, critical look at the way the con- country is using them as a buffer class and not to um, do anything for black Mm -hmm. people. And that's the issue, you know? Um, I would add
0: to Great Migration, Isabella Wilkerson. I I listened to her, and that was basically all about how like, after slavery um, is ended, basically then you have a phenomenon of sharecropping, Mm -hmm. which is basically slavery-like. Oh yeah,
1: Uh, uh, slavery by another name. Yeah. Um, Yeah, what's that author's name? I can't think of this moment. Um, Slavery by another name, Um, what's, Name Michelle Alexander for uh, oh yeah yeah sure uh, thir- uh not not thirteenth it's the new Jim Crow the new she, Jim Crow she wrote that's the new right. Jim Crow that's a, that's and, a great, and which that's really, an really became the thirteenth documentary yep um yeah and and Slauson girl Slauson girl speaks in her <laughs> podcast because she's really in tune with what's happening right now in South Central and she she does a lot of great stories on South Central and uh, she has a great blog so well
0: one of the things that in Great Migration side and again like you you, you you come out across this information and it's just like, how the fuck did I not know about this? Mm-hmm. And it talks about how, like, basically... Um, Absolutely
1: sharecropping. Oh, crazy. no, not
0: just sharecropping, but how it happened in the Jim Crow in the, mm-hmm. the migration of black people out of the South. Oh, yeah. In the, like, basically from, like, the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, to so, like, 1915 to, like, 1965. Mm-hmm. Basically, there was a giant influx to communities like New York, Chicago... And Los Los Angeles, Angeles. huge from, and that basically it it tells the story of a couple of these specific and and over their lifetimes. And it is a trip to think about how, again, that you would go, you would leave, you know, a plantation or something of sharecropping Mm -hmm. and then, you know, for saying something like not doing exactly what you need to be doing, not being a great worker. And then you would literally be possibly lynched, which was happening a lot around the time to know consequences, so then you leave and go to New York, Chicago, or L.A., but then through home ownership and redlining and stuff, you're put into a ghetto, you're put into a district, Mm -hmm. and then again, we talk about this intergenerational non-wealth, well then that's, how how would you start? You start from scratch, and some of them make it, but then a bunch of them don't, and then the other ones who do make it are an exception that proves the rule. So it's a very interesting kind of dynamic of how, again, like these people literally left a, a fucked up situation to then just to get to a new messed up situation. Yeah, you know? absolutely.
1: But, <laughs> and and a lot of my family was a part of that great migration. My mother's from Chicago, so right. her, her okay. folks went there, sure, and sure. then my mother came. Um, my mother came here, my grandfather actually came to Los Angeles. But um, yeah, they were able to at least work and get a check. But, right. you know, they were-to survive. Still, <laughs> to survive. But they were still locked out of certain types of jobs and union jobs and, um Industrial oh, jobs, sure, yeah, sure. definitely. Yeah. So yeah, it's a major that's a that's a really good point, definitely.
0: So um,
1: I, I feel like there's a yeah. new great migration. Um, you know, a lot of these cities, like blue states, right? And I'm a registered democrat, uh-huh. I don't want people to think <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> no. I'm a registered democrat, but I'm very critical of the Democratic Party. It's like when you As look any at,
0: good citizen should be. Right. Like I don't understand how this is like a negative thing. Right.
1: You know, a lot of people like whenever I make this point, people go, Are you a Republican? Like, no. I'm, I'm not. A I am. Individual I'm a free thinking. In, I'm not Kanye free thinking, <laughs> but
0: Touche, <laughs> touche, I'm a critical
1: thinking individual. But when you look at all these cities that have high homelessness and um, you know, overpriced housing, these are blue cities, mm-hmm. blue states.
0: Well, that's and they're
1: relocating us to red cities. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, I think it's a plan to flip red states. When you send a bunch of Democratic people who are priced out of these Democratic states going to start flipping states.
0: Mm. That's so what, that's kind of the... That's what I think. That's think. my
1: theory. I don't have no studies <laughs> to support <That's> my, That <laughs> we'll is my that theory. There. Yeah, I believe it. Um,
0: so so then let's get back to, I guess, like what what um, the biggest kind of message that we want to impart from the, from this, other than just talking about, again, knowledge and, and getting this information out, is um, you started this uh, organization called Black Pact. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically an organization, organization now Trying to become a PAC, a political action committee. So, a PAC is basically you can, a political action committee can give anywhere between $5,000 to any one candidate for any election and then $15,000 annually. And then a super PAC is one that can get indefinite, unlimited, unlimited mm-hmm. uh, campaign contributions. Mm-hmm. So, basically, the idea is that you're committed to creating a social contract among black. American descendants of slaves, ADOs, that we talked about, uh, to be politically, economically, and socially responsible for one's interest, uh, for another's interest, as uh, for each other's. Interest. Oh, for each other's. Yeah. Inter- excuse me, excuse me. As a collect, a cultural collective, so we make a pact. To organize the masses of our peoples to allies, to push a political agenda that not only represents the members of our organization, but to work against policies that adversely affect our communities. So before we get to the single goal and like mm-hmm. the five kind of points that we have, um, what were kind of the surrounding circumstances? Like what kind of made you, obviously we talked about you running, but mm-hmm. then to set up a, an organization and do the whole nine and yeah. paperwork, what, what kind of spurred that on?
1: Um, pretty much, I started Black Pack. The day after Donald Trump was elected, <laughs> <laughs> and and for me it was more so because you know you know I I had quite a few drinks when he was elected when it was announced. Then I held my son in my arms and I just cried like and I apologized to him to what this country just did to him mm. in terms of like this is your response. Somebody who was just saying basically be tougher on criminals and things like that after we just had a string of uh, police involved shootings of right. like black people black men specifically and and it was just something has to be done and something has to be done to bring black folks together for us to aggregate our funds push our candidates and push an agenda if people were not happy with hillary clinton it should have been known you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like for for folks to not just come out and then of course we later find out it was all this russian russian propaganda and and all these other things but i just felt like we need a central place where we come to get our politics. We look over the candidates and we um, decide who we're going to endorse. And all the black folks in the community get this memo or your slate of who to vote for mm-hmm. um, in your specific area. And we'll have our money to push certain candidates because too many people are afraid to say black. Mm, yeah. Too many people. But we continue to do politics for all of these other people and it's adversely affecting us, you know, mm-hmm. Um Even uh, when you think about the 1964 um, Civil Rights Bill and how they, um, how that was kind of the catalyst for the immigration bill.
0: Ah, yes. Okay. You have
1: a lot of immigrants who come here who are not only anti-black, they're anti-black politics. And they fight black Americans on affirmative action. Mm. It's like... How do you reconcile the two? It's it, and it's it's fine that certain uh, communities have their own specific politics. Sure, there's going to be tension. But we're the only ones who who do politics for everyone else, right, and no right, one, right. and everyone else doesn't do politics for us. Right. So we have to actually start getting on board with doing politics specifically for us. Yeah.
0: So and then so, so, well, that so specifically so that's, yeah, spe- Let's go into that. That
1: specificity is is why Black Pack exists, um, and and why I started it because we needed people who were not going to be afraid to say black in black politics and, and help fix the ills in the black community specifically right. because they were specifically done to us.
0: Yeah, and it's not platitudes or narratives. It's, right. it's literally, we're ta- I'm putting my money where my mouth is. We're, right. we're literally put, do, having skin in the game in our community.
1: Right, like they just passed, um, uh, well, it's not passed. It's going to be on the ballot to uh, re, uh, basically to amend the state constitution to allow for racial preferential treatment for um oh, government contracts so re reinstating uh, affirmative action
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, we need that you know when people think they're you know people think this is a meritocracy and that you know you should be able to just work your way up but yeah but you're removing the historical context of how yeah. black people specifically were locked out of participation you can't expect us all to be at the same level and perform at the same level when we've been under-resourced yeah that's so
0: funny it's people, like how how yeah. can you pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you, you don't ain't
1: have any no boots you <laughs> got no boots or boots
0: no straps or boots. No straps or
1: boots. So that's that's a rude statement to yeah, make. Yeah, yeah, so right, right. so yeah, that's that's why I created Black Pack, and because we need to not be afraid of that anymore. And a lot of people are afraid of it is because they're getting money from other folks and they don't want to upset them. Mm. You know, even Karen Bass. You know, um, she was bold enough to say it. She said, "Oh no, we don't say black because uh, don't won't nobody touch it."
0: if you say black in there and we want
1: to change and we're we're, we want to change that narrative and we're going to and the the fear of saying black is partly why we got george floyd yeah you know someone like george floyd exists because we're not doing black politics we're not we're not trying to make whole these black men who are coming out of prison who um you know who who can't find a job and who can't take care of their kids and you know whether they engage in drugs like it's traumatized to being a black person in this country I'm not surprised by the the rates in which we engage in um, alcohol and drugs and things like that it's a lot of trauma seeing all of these deaths and black and um, and police killing black people it's very traumatizing
0: yeah for but even, but
1: but we are continue to be uh, penalized for it white people do drugs just the same
0: yeah yeah and I mean I, not to, I even tweeted this with uh, Jacob Blake um, His uh, no, sorry, yeah, Jacob Blake. His uh, three kids were in the car when he was shot, and it's like, can you put a dollar amount on the trauma of those kids? Again, like, I don't know how you can economically even justify even sending a cop there to the institute because then the harm that was done, rather than the what you were trying to break up a a house fight, a a fight that a Good Samaritan was breaking it up, and then he just doesn't want to listen to you because he he becomes a he he
1: becomes a suspect. Exactly. Exactly. It's unfortunate, but also the mindset of that cop to where you don't even consider these children. You no, no, don't, exactly. you don't consider yeah. their safety. You don't like not, not even like just the trauma. You don't even consider the fact that you could have shot one of his children, yeah. or a bullet could have ricocheted and, and hurt one of them.
0: Well, it's, I think it, it, it oh, it's and the, I'm not. I'm not justifying, but it, mm-hmm. it seems like it's a, it's an occupying force, like a war. Like you are the enemy, and you are the other. And yeah. literally, it doesn't matter. And your about, children are too. Yep.
1: Yeah, they they definitely don't take the the. The, the human the human into consideration. Right.
0: yeah Well then, t- taking back the human into consideration <laughs> yeah. is what Black Pack's trying to do, so let's go sure. through this. Uh, you have kind of a five prong thing, and obviously there's more, but these five I think really speak to kind of what you're trying to do, and then also the mechanisms of mm-hmm. literally what's been happening. So we are driven by a single goal, to push a political agenda that addresses the specific ills forced into our communities through slavery, the Reconstruction Era, Jim Crow, redlining, and the prison industrial Com- uh, industrial complex. So, and let's take each one of those, I guess, as, as a singular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, slavery. So we talked a lot about ADOs and and righting those wrongs or having a type of um reconciliation commission of some sort on a national level so mm-hmm. like is there any other things that you would say in terms of slave like what are some other goals or things around that goal uh
1: like, in terms of like the redress for it well like, yeah we so let's go through each
0: one and so it's like slavery would be an and uh ados becoming more of a prevalent thing mm-hmm. you know and then also a re a, or a reconciliation about slavery in general you know that so what are there any other kind of real specific things that we could do to to,
1: I mean, cash reparations, absolutely.
0: Okay. <laughs> just bring the bag, and we'll talk <laughs> later. Bring yeah. the bag. Yeah, <laughs>
1: um, yeah um, definitely. Uh, just like like we discussed before, in terms of like the census and ADOs being Sentences, a more okay. the point. ADOs being a much more prevalent uh, movement, and that people who are American descendants of slavery, it is important that you are counted as such because we have to actually get a real. Glimpse of where we are as a people—that's yeah. uh, important. Um, and then from that, actual reparations—we uh, need to we need to figure out who will actually get them, and it will be American descendants of slavery who. Um, who have have um, identified as black on all of their official documents mm-hmm. for the last 10 years? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't get to be a white person who has black somewhere down the line in your in your family. You get to say that's, like, not, a, the that that's we're to make, not the point. That's definitely not the point. It's yeah. about really righting the wrongs of this country in the way that this country has financially broken us yeah. and 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 um, locked us out of uh, economic participation with slavery mm-hmm. and. Refused to make us whole because of it. And a lot of people currently still are living off of the wealth made from slaves.
0: Sure. And then, well, then that goes into the Reconstruction era of Mm -hmm. like, what are some of the things? Because, I mean, the wealth that was created after slavery was, but still in white pockets. Right. I mean, they
1: gave reparations to the slave owners who lost their property. Right. They reimbursed them money for losing their slaves. Yeah. Um, and then we were supposed to, during the reconstruction era, we were supposed to get 40 acres and a mule. We did not get that. Right. No because kidding. had we had we been able to get that, we would have been able to um, uh, farm our own lands and own our own products and actually engage in um, contracting. Uh, the Civil Rights Law of 1866 uh, gave us that right to um, engage in commerce and, and be able to have contracts. Mm-hmm but we ain't had no property and no land yeah. to do it.
0: Well that 40 there's a great radio lab episode about that 40 acres and a mule and then mm-hmm. also the Tulsa black you know the right. black stock. And market even in Tulsa, Tulsa which you know. was in
1: the early 1900s mm-hmm. that's another what 40 50 years Well then that goes into Jim Crow slavery and yeah, yeah and definitely okay. and then Jim Crow but it was like black people have always been resourceful and um, and um, persistent you know, we, we, we always had that drive. But when you have a, a, a system that is constantly beating us down and will snatch the rug from up under us every time we try, mm-hmm. it can be defeating. And I feel like we're kind of on the end when we, when you see the 50% of the homeless. We're on the defeated end. Yeah. You know, granted, not everyone is, but it's like our numbers are extremely too high. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's a state of urgency right now. Right.
0: And then so specifically, so then Jim Crow is the next, and the, like specifically with Jim Crow, that was more... In the '60s, but then, like you said, Michelle Alexander is uh, she said the new Jim Crow, and that's more about incarceration. Incarceration, that's, and we'll get to the prison industrial complex. But basically, the idea is the 13th mem- Amendment is supposed to basically say, "Hey, everyone's not a slave." Like, right. It's, it's, supposed, it's, it's to, supposed to. But what it does do, because clause, it says actually, if you're committed from a crime, this is not necessarily right. what is. So, I basically uh, think that. Um, well, the Jim Crow kind of, the resurgence of that, and then mm-hmm. Michelle Alexander really shined a light on, on some of that resurgence. So is there any other specific kind of policies for, or mm-hmm. other things that specifically Jim Crow um, or is that more tied in with the in- prison industrial complex as well?
1: I mean, like when we, when we discuss these things, we talking to, we're talking about the actual harm that's been done to us. Yes. And that is a crude disadvantage between slavery to now. So like if we were able to have our own farms and things like that, like the amount of interest that all of that would have...
0: Um, oh, the compounding interest that would
1: have came, came about, how, how um, further along black people would be economically, would not exist had these um, atrocities did not mm-hmm. happen specifically to us as a people. So, it's an accrued disadvantage. So, so, you know, you owe us some money. <laughs> you know, it's like beyond economic lockout because even the crack epidemic while we're already financially fractured you didn't use it you then crack bomb us. Yeah. And the, the actual government, the CIA, actually helps put this crack in our communities. Yeah. So y'all to help you guys pay for a war that Congress said no to. Yeah. It's you, all
0: interconnected. I, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. definitely
1: interconnected, but it's like you already took an economically disadvantaged people. Then you hook them on drugs. Yeah. Specifically in our community incarcerate them to yeah. continue yep. to allow for slave labor. Yeah. It's like you're using us. We are the shoes that America ran this race on
0: yeah you know totally, what I mean totally. like
1: and we're tore up right. you have to repair us
0: well and the redlining specifically I think is one of the mechanisms that that can I guess you could say like you can see real change is that like in a re- redlining is basically the the housing authority of any city basically said when these new immigrants or these new black people are coming in is at this line you don't sell, you know what I mean. For white families, you can sell mm-hmm. or, or buy property and stuff. Right. But if you go over here and it's blacks, no selling. So then, literally, there's no home ownership. There's no like wealth attainment, et cetera, in the, in those kind of areas. And I think like redoing those redlining policies to then open up housing and stuff like that. I mean that goes beyond just black people. I mean that's like if affordable housing is needed mm-hmm. for everybody. <laughs> like, well, I mean, but but I'm not trying to say. I, I, I'm just saying like specifically. Did but you just right,
1: all eyes matter reparation? No, no. <laughs> affordable housing. No, well, and, uh, I
0: mean, I'm just saying that there's a lot of the, well, the affordable housing is needed in the inner city, and that mostly happens because of the redlining from previous like political, you know, people white, you know, white people in power saying at this juncture over here you don't you don't do anything. Over here, you do do something. It's like, but it's the same capital. It's the same amount of things, but literally just the access is taken away. Well, what if the access was given,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and then all of a sudden something can happen. So I don't know if that's specifically a mechanism uh, or not, but that it, it seems like uh, that that could be something that could change.
1: Yeah, so. no, I mean, definitely. But... Um you know, I know a lot of people need affordable housing, but specifically black people. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like when we talked about homelessness, those numbers are atrocious. Okay, I, yeah, when when you look so, at 40% yep. of the black, uh, of, of the homeless are black, then, but we're only 8% of the, the, totally. just the L.A. county's population. Those are ridiculous numbers. That is a major disparity that has to be mm-hmm. repaired, and, and it shows the level of prioritization that the black community needs or the ADOS community needs, because, you know, that's usually who's out there.
0: Right, right, right. And so lastly, uh, the prison industrial complex. Mm -hmm. So this is probably the biggest out of all of them uh, for something to do. So this has wide-ranging implications. So not only is prison and policing uh, a part of this country, um, it has disproportionately been black people that are getting incarcerated. So, Mm -hmm. again, around the same numbers of... uh, Crimes, same number of drug usage, et cetera. But then, you know, we have 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prison population. Mm-hmm. And most of those people being, decent, uh, you know, people of color. So yeah. let's talk Not about... people
1: of color. Uh, well, black people. Black people, or, specifically.
0: Okay. And then, and then yeah. so, so one of the things, though, is uh, like, we can talk... I don't want to get too far into like, you know, Joe Biden or the crime bill or anything. But yeah. let's talk like specific things like... Mandatory sentencing. Mm-hmm. That was something, you know, in the war on drugs that was huge on, on, on things of like mandatory sentence, like three strikes, you're out laws right. and things like that. Um, the 13th Amendment, as we talked about, is that you can be in a, a prisoner and then literally be working on the front lines of a fire. And in California, that's around all the time now, you yeah. know? And so you're not getting paid any money. So you're effectively a slave and now. And it's
1: a dangerous job. And yeah,
0: uh, Absolutely. Uh, cash bail. That's another thing a lot mm-hmm. of people are h- held in pre-trial hearings that literally just because you don't have money or capital to then basically appease the ju- judicial system and then white people mostly do well then they're out uh, out out you know doing whatever for their trial but mm-hmm. then black people are incarcerated until they can either a pay for their bill or B, their trial date right. and it's like that's alone is a giant percentage of the population right um, the fact that for-profit You know, things exist, not just in the prison systems, but then also phone calls, commissary, visitation,
1: even even probation and even house arrest. Like you have to pay to get an ankle bracelet. Right. (laughs) It's like it's it's, a it's it's Yes. It's a fee. Right. Right. It's it's a way for like we talked about 13th Amendment, allow the loophole to continue slavery. But. This country is just using us to make money. And then even with the crime bill, as we mentioned earlier, it incentivized the, not only the continued creation of more prisons, but the requirement to populate those prisons.
0: Right, no, you're, no, absolutely. You're going
1: to search for these people some kind of way and when yeah. black folks have already been bottom casted, you don't feel like you have to do for us. You do feel like you can come into our communities over police us, beat us, kill us, shoot us. Breonna Taylor's case, they just
0: perfect they, example. They
1: just shot up in, in, into her apartment with no regard to human life for her and her, her her boyfriend, any of the neighbors.
0: Yeah, and wasn't it something about like a cannabis, like a, a marijuana, something, something for drugs? And it's like that was the reasoning it's for. Still, but it's still, no <laughs> knock raise, and just shooting. It still
1: like, is. On. It still does not. Their response do not fit the crime. Right. Even it, the guy. Revolves. Even the guy <laughs> in the Wendy's. Um, who fell asleep in the drive-through. This was during the uprising oh, right, when they yeah, said the yeah, Wendy's on fire. Yeah. I can't think of his name at the moment. But they shot and killed him. Although he resisted arrest, he was he was drinking. He said he was drinking. He could not, um, he said, can I call my girlfriend to come pick me up? They said no. He said, live around the corner, can I walk home? They said no. Why not? Yeah. Let this man go home. Yeah. He takes your taser? Like to go to jail is going to cost you so much money.
0: Right, but they he, see that as Right, an of
1: course, set. and it's like you're using these people to continue yeah. to bring money into your system. Yeah. You know, we you can't we can't continue to allow this. We have to take the operations of money or the incentive of money out of out of prisons, out of um, policing. Right. Like we have to. It should not. It should not. It should not be a. It should not be a racket. And that's what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, because the idea is that we're rehabilitating the community. If you mess, They're up, are not. You There's, go, no There's no rehabilitation. I know rehabilitation. people
1: who are in prison. They can't even get classes anymore. I think there are like a few. There, there are a few colleges that allow for home study for prisoners. Cost thousands of dollars. Who has that money? And they don't qualify for financial aid. Yeah. They can't fill out a FAFSA.
0: Right, 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 cuz you're automatically barred and right. we're, we're not even talking about the um, November we're election no, that's coming up right. that then they're not allowed to vote either if you have a felony record. Exactly. Etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Right.
1: We're not even we're not even rehabilitating the people to prepare them to come back out. We are or not even we the prison industrial complex is, is uh, making sure uh, to increase recidivism so that they have prisoners to still come back to. Right.
0: Um
1: to, you know, to make their money and to fill these beds. It's it's unfortunate. And black men they are, although you said 25% of the world's uh, population. No, I, that was person. more,
0: uh, no, sorry, that was just Americans. No, no, no that's yeah, what I'm American. saying. Okay, I'm yeah. saying,
1: out of that 25%, okay, yeah, yeah. black men, there are more black men incarcerated in this country than all women in the world. Right. All women in the world. Right. That's crazy. It's and we're crazy. still only, 30, we're 13% of the population, so black men are what, six and a half?
0: Right. And you're, and it's not even like we're 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 just trying to get to e- like you know, like much less like justice like justice. just just to the equalness of like Look, that is going to be
1: justice a, and inequality. We need right. both. You know, it's not enough just to allow a black man out of prison. About no, you have to start making us whole. You have to start repairing us because we will no longer continue to just be the shoes that y'all run this race on yvette carnell that's her quote i love it i feel like it it definitely helps to visualize mm-hmm. the way america has used black people in this very country cool. or ados people to yeah. definitely you know fuel the the financials of this country
0: very well put um so basically last thing uh i always ask this question to all my guests um mm-hmm. the overview effect is a uh, it's like a transcendent like experience of seeing the Earth from space. So astronauts always like there's only been five hundred people that have been up in the space out of mm. like ten billion people that have ever existed, humans. And when they come back down to Earth, they are like it's the you know, an incredible experience, the you know, whole nine. And so I like to ask every guest, like, what is one thing you would like to say or a piece of knowledge that you would like to impart? Say if you were the astronaut and looking down at Earth. So like if you had the opportunity, what what would you say?
1: Am I speaking to the astronaut or like uh, no, everyday, the the Earth. or everyday people? The okay, Earth. the people. Okay. The people.
0: I mean he's there, you know there. I mean? Or she's there. <laughs> They're in there somewhere. <laughs> They're in there somewhere.
1: Um, I would say to see the human in the the human in black people. Mm. Um, don't like really do your research really know your history and know the history of black people and our our valuable contributions to this country Mm -hmm. and um, the way that this country has beaten us down and used us like before you judge us. Mm -hmm. Um, That is what I definitely stress because we have so many conversations and historical context is lost. You know Mm -hmm. they look at people who are gang members in the streets or who are uh, drug dealers and it's like look. But when the government does not invest in your communities, when there's no money, when people have to feed their kids, a lot of people don't understand that, a lot of that life is survival. And granted, there are also black doctors and lawyers and things like that. Those are the exceptions and not the rule because, you know, yes, we, because we still have that drive. Yeah. You know, we still have that beauty in us as a people and we still have valuable contributions. This country and, and other countries imitate our art that we create, sure. you know, sure. our culture. Like, we are a creative, loving people, and we are this way just naturally. We love pretty much everybody. It's why we fight for everyone. It's time to start loving black people. That's what I challenge
0: people. Oh, it's time to start
1: loving black people. people.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations, Tara. Uh, I'm Nicholas McKay, and until next time, at Astra. Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems.